please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And there's a message outline back in the uh, ministry counter outside those center doors. Are you ready to worship God in, in his word this morning? We've worshiped him in song. We've worshiped him in prayer. We worship him in when we open up the Word of God, we're going to worship Him. We take offerings and tithes. We worship Him with our entire life. But we come this morning to worship Him, to open up our hearts and minds to Him and ask God that to make us more like Jesus, right? Conform us to His image. So every song, every word of the song that we sing, we become more like Jesus. Every word from the scriptures that we read and study this morning, become more like Jesus. That's what we're here for, becoming His likeness, right? that we surrender our lives to him, whatever he has for us. Today, we're going to begin a new series that we are one, a series called United. And uh, today in our world, as we look at our world, we see that we are divided. The world is totally divided. The politics have divided us among Republicans, Democrats, and and independents or whatever political affiliation you're part of. From our politics, they have divided us based on our ethnic background. Our country is being divided based on race, our gender has been divided where God said, I made them in male and female, and our society's decided to say, no, 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 that's wrong. There's many genders, and continue to add. We're divided according to our demographics. We've been divided among family income. If you make so much money, you're in the next tax bracket. If you make that much money, you're in the next tax bracket. We're divided among blue states and red states. Our Congress is divided. Our Senate is divided. We live in a divided country, don't we? It's divided. And I want to do a short series for just three, three messages called United. To make a statement to our church and to the churches that we are one, that we are one church. And inside the church, we are one, is what the Bible tells us. If you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesus. And it's fantastic first couple of chapters, what he writes. He emphasized that the blessings that we have in knowing Jesus. And if you're discouraged this morning spiritually, I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1 and, and just take in every word, how blessed you really are to be in, in Jesus. But then chapter 2 begins the same thing. He says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins is what he says. But God in his love and his mercy for us, he changed everything through the cross of Jesus Christ, right? He changed everything. Amen? He changed everything. But when you get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, let me give you a little background. Paul is going to bring up two groups. He speaks about two groups of people. The first group are, are the Jews, and the Jews are those who thought or perceived they were spiritually privileged. They had been given the promises of God. They had been given the law, and so they thought they were spiritually privileged. And then he's going to introduce the second group, and the second group is the Gentiles. The Gentiles were spiritually, perceived to be spiritually in poverty. And the difficulty of these groups is they hated each other. I mean, really hated each other. By the time the New Testament came around in the life of Jesus, these groups didn't have time for each other because they hated each other so bad. And they had names for each other. And they called them names and they stayed apart from each other. And as you read in the story in John chapter 4, you find out that the Jews wouldn't even travel through Samaria. Not even people who are half Gentiles. They didn't care for them. They hated them. So there was this wall of division between them and this hatred that existed between them. This wall that was there of hate. I mean, extreme hate. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to share with them. And we have to, it's the top of your message outline. We have to embrace unity in Christ so we can display God's glory in a disunited world. 
And I use the word disunited. You can add a lot of other adjectives there. You can put whatever you want. Uh, we live in a broken or fragmented world, don't we? And we have different politicians and different groups, and we have the League of Nations to the United Nations, and they all talk about bring us together. They all talk about that we have peace, this world peace. But in my lifetime, we haven't even come close to that world peace. It has not happened, has it? it hasn't even come close of happening. So how is it going to change? What is going to change that? What is going to change that? Well, if you have your outline, I want to give you three embraces to the unity we have in Christ. I believe Jesus is the only one that can change that. And the first point, the first to embrace is embrace the way of our unity. Embrace the way of our unity. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. The apostle Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which was the Jews, that done in the body by the hands of men. He's talking about two groups there. There's the two groups. He's, he's listing two artificial groups. Verse 12, remember that at that time you, meaning Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. He is using five different ways or five different descriptors to describe the group of people who are a long way from God described as far off. And none of these are good, what he says. And I want to go over these five different descriptors that he uses here. The first one, he says, they, first they are separated from Christ. That's not a way you want to be described, is it? If somebody says, boy, you're separate from Christ. That's not a way you want to be described. That's what he says. You are separate from Christ. Second, he says, you're excluded from citizenship of, in Israel. You're not part of Israel. You're not part of the Jews. Not part of that group of the promises of the law. Then he says, you're foreigners to the covenants of the promise. When God was choosing a people, in Genesis chapter 12, God called a man by the name of Abram, and he said to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And from you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And I'm going to give you some land. And I'm going to give you a seed and offspring. And my blessing is going to be upon you. And that was the nation of Israel. And their responsibility was to take this message of grace and mercy of God to the world. That was their job and responsibility. Sometimes they did it well but sometimes they didn't do it so well. He goes on to describe them in number four. He says, you are without hope. Think about that. Not little hope. He says, you are completely without hope, is what he says. And the reason they're without hope is number five. You're without God in the world. Without God. Without God, there's no hope, guys. There's no hope. And that's what he's telling these five negatives. Ephesians 2.13, he goes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. I love verse 13 after you have all those negatives of verse 12, those five negatives of verse 12. What's going to change it from verse 12? He, he uses this little contrasting word in verse 13, but. And I love when he uses it, but. That little connecting word, but now in Christ Jesus. Let, let's read it again. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, meaning the Gentiles, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. By fulfilling the Old Testament law in Jesus' life, he, he makes the law not effect in our lives. You understand that? He fulfilled it all. He fulfilled it all. So it's not effect in our life, what it says. But the cross of Jesus does two things. It does more than two things. It does a lot more. He brings peace in our life. But first of all, it breaks down two walls, is what he's talking about here. 
The cross of Jesus breaks down two walls. The first wall it breaks down is the wall that separates us from God. It's our sin, right? Because we can't go to God because of our sin. And God's sinfulness, I mean, our sinfulness exposed by God's holiness. Where a holy God cannot look upon sinful man. And it's through the cross, through the cross of Jesus, that God says, I love mankind so much, those who I created, that I'm going to send my son. And Jesus came down to this earth in the form of a human being, in the form of a man. And he grew up. And Jesus was on mission, according to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, to seek and save all that were lost. And he came here to do that. And, he, and Jesus came here for a lot of purposes. But that was his primary purpose, to reconcile mankind with Almighty God. So the first thing he did, he tore down that wall, the wall that separates us between us and God, right? That now you and I can have access to God the Father, but we got to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus removed that wall. But there's also another wall that he, he tore down, which Paul is talking about. The wall of hostility between you and I. The wall of hostility with each other that we have is what he's saying. He says he created one new man. And that one new man that he's talking about here is the church, is what he's saying. And what's fascinating about this, he says, the Gentiles have to come through through Jesus to get to the church. The Jews have to come through Jesus to get the church. He's saying they both needed Jesus. And you, you look at this, you say, uh, even those that are far off from those that are close both needed Jesus. And you ask yourself, which needed Jesus more? Which one you think needed Jesus more? Both needed them same, right? They both needed the same. It doesn't matter if you're close did Jesus like the Jews close to, or you're far away like the Gentiles? doesn't matter how close you are. If you miss Jesus, you missed it. And the Bible describes you as lost and without hope. And so everyone's lost and without hope. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're lost without hope. And Paul, when he was writing the Colossian believers in Colossians 126, he tells him, I'm going to share with you a mystery. Now, a mystery is something we don't know until God chooses to reveal it, right? That's what a mystery is. Something you and I don't know until God chooses to open up our hearts and minds and reveal it to us. So what's the mystery, Paul? What's the mystery you want to share with us? He says, God is going to save two groups of people, what Paul was talking about. And he's going to do something very profound is what he's going to do. He's going to put them together in one body called the church. That's what God was doing. That's the mystery in Christ. He's going to save these two groups of people, and I'm going to put them together in this one body. And you say, wow, that's great, but how does that work? It's wonderful, God, to save people, but how do you put them together? How does that happen when these two groups of people, and many other groups today, hate each other? How can that possibly work? And what he's saying, it happens because of the cross. It happens because of Jesus Christ breaking down the walls. It's Jesus breaking down the walls between the two groups, between all the groups. Let's go back to verse 12. Let's kind of look at the bigger picture. Paul is using this picture, he says, of this downward spiral of spiritual division that we have in our lives. In verse 12, Paul is saying there's spiritual haves and there's spiritual have-nots. There are those that have perceived spiritual privilege, which are the Jews, and those that have perceived spiritual poverty, which is the Gentiles. But the chapter doesn't end in verse 12, is what he says here. He says in verse 13, he says, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ, if you are far off, you can come. And he goes, but now in Christ, if you are near, you can come. He says, it doesn't matter if you are Asian or Caucasian. He says, you can come. It doesn't matter. He said, it doesn't matter if you're an Indian or an African, you can come. He says, but now in Christ, it doesn't matter. He says, if you're a Latino 
or Middle Eastern, you can come is what he's saying. That every tribe, every tongue, and every language can come to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what he's setting up everyone. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Paul writes that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory to God the Father. That we believe in one God, one Lord, one Savior, one faith, one baptism, amen? That we believe in God as above all, in all, and through all. That's what we believe, amen? Let's give God just a round of applause, amen, because that's what he is. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying here. And this is just such a dramatic shift in thinking what Paul is laying out here that we may not understand today, but that's what he's doing here, that I brought the Jews and Gentiles together, God has, because he says this is one body, the church. He says that we don't fight with each other. Now we fight for each other is what he's saying. You don't fight against them. You're fighting for them. We don't work for unity. We work from the basis of unity because unity has been given to us as a gift from God is what he's saying. That we have unity. So the first thing we have to embrace, he says, embrace the way you came to faith. Embrace the way through the unity of Jesus in the church. Embrace that. That God has given us unity as a gift. And we have that. To be unified together inside of the church through Jesus Christ. The second embrace is this. Embrace the purpose of our unity. Embrace the purpose. The second part of verse 15, let's read it. He said his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. God has a purpose for our unity, is what he's saying here. And when we come to Jesus, God creates us new. We're, we're new creatures. He makes us one. He takes all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, everybody who's accepted Jesus Christ by faith, he brings us on, he makes us new. Therefore, we're one. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're new in Christ, and therefore we're one. And that's one of the purposes of our unity. Let's look at another purpose in verse 16. He goes on, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them, the Jews and the Gentiles, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Remember, the Jews had their perceived spiritual privilege with all the promises. And the Gentiles had their perceived spiritual poverty. Now they both need to be reconciled to God, right? They both had, they both unified in that. They need to be reconciled. And the Bible says, the cross of God makes us right with God. It reconciles us to God. It gives us peace with God. It broke down the barrier, that wall between us and God. But now he goes on, the cross of Christ also gives us peace with each, each other, is what he's saying. When Jesus died in the cross, he destroyed the walls that separates us. He broke that down. And one of the purposes of God, unity, of, his, of his dying on the cross, so that you and I can have unity with each other. That's what he wanted to accomplish. Not just unity with God, but unity with each other. And it all comes from the cross of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, and we could be unified through that. So because of the cross, we can have peace with God, it provided, but also we can have peace with each other, is what he's setting up. That's what Paul is saying. Just don't think it's one way. Not only here, but he says also horizontal with each other. But there are some in this room that may not have peace with God. There's some of you in this room that have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, so you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And you need to understand that God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, but because of our sin 
It separates us from God, and there's no way we can approach a holy, just, righteous God. So God sent his son Jesus from heaven into this world, and Jesus came and took on the form of a man. And then he grew up, and God put him on the cross, and he placed all those sins, all those things that separate us from God, he placed them upon Jesus. And Jesus paid the complete payment for our sins. He paid for our sin debt. And so now you and I can come to God the Father through Jesus, but we have to accept God's way to come to him. We can't make up our own way and say, I'm going to approach God my way. No, there's only one way to approach God, and God has provided the way through Jesus, the peacemaker, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus and say, Jesus died for me. So we can have access to God the Father and peace with God the Father, but it's all through Jesus Christ, right? But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on in Ephesians 2.17. It says, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. That Jesus preached the message of peace is what the Bible tells us. He preached the message of peace to the Jewish fishermen who were close or nearby. He preached the message of peace also to a Syrian Phoenician woman who was far away. He preached a message of peace to a centurion soldier who had great faith who was far away. But he also preached a message of peace to the apostles who sometimes had very little faith, right? The same message to all is what he preached, a message of peace. And we serve a God who preaches a message of peace, that Jesus came as the peacemaker. And through that message of peace is the only way that you and I can have peace is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no other way. Everyone's promising peace right now with Israel and the Palestines. Everyone's promise of peace. There's only one that can provide that. That's the only one. It's not because of our political affiliation that's going to find peace. It's not because of our social economics we're going to find peace and our social status we're going to find peace. It's not from our ethnic background we're going to find peace. It's not from our demographics or the color of our skin we're going to find peace. The only way we can have peace, the Bible's saying, because Jesus shed his blood upon the cross for you and I. And it's only through the cross of Jesus where we have peace with God and we can possibly have peace with each other. It's only through that. We can try to have peace with each other, but it will always break down. The only one that can bring lasting peace is Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Ephesians 2.18, he goes on and he says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I love this, what he's saying. He said, all of us are broken. All of us are sinful. We're broken people. We all have that in common, right? We all have that in common. We're all broken, and we need to have access to God the Father, but we can't on our own. We can't. It's only through Jesus. But through Jesus, we can boldly come through the throne of grace, and we can find the help in our time of need, and we can have access to God the Father through Jesus. And that's what he's pointing out. You and I can have access to God the Father, and all through the work of the one Spirit— the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. And I love what he's doing here, Paul is doing. He is including the Father, he's including the Holy Spirit, and he's including the Son, Jesus, here. And the whole purpose of it, so that we can have access to God the Father, is what he's saying. That's the whole purpose. There are a lot of byproducts, there are a lot of results, but that's the primary purpose of it. You know, I used to have a Bowflex Extreme Home Gym at my house, but I never used it for what it was intended to use it for. Uh, you know, a Bowflex is meant to build muscle, and, and so you're getting great shape and, and build your strength. But what I used it for, I used to take things and lean up against it. I used to take things and sit on top of it and stack things on, and more things on top and more. I never used it for its intended purpose. 
of what that bowflex was supposed to be. The intended purpose for our unity is what he's saying here, that we would have direct access to the Father through Jesus and by the one Spirit we share together. And that one Spirit, Holy Spirit, would unify us. That's what he's saying. We all have access. Only one way. It's through Jesus, through that one Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in which we share together. And he says the results are amazing. Because at that time, the Jews and the Gentiles, he says those two major groups, God was bringing together through Jesus, through that one spirit they shared together. They had, they, that unified them is what he's saying. They had many other subgroups, but those were the two main groups is what he's saying. And we look at today, and there are all kinds of other groups that we have today, right? All kinds. Some of those groups are by national borders. Some of those groups are by ethnic background. Some of those groups are by economics or even color or skin or demographics. Some will say that I'm a millennial, I'm a buster, I'm a boomer, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm an independent, or whatever I may be, that I'm from Russia, I'm from Poland, I'm from Japan, I'm from wherever, from Germany, from down in Venezuela, wherever we may be. We all have our identity markers, right? Where we came from and who we are. We all have those. Every one of us in this room have our identity markers. And God has brought us all together, is what he's saying, through Jesus Christ to one church. So what do we do with our identity markers? What do we do with all those things that say, this is who I am as an individual? We come to the church and we're still Democrats. We're still Republicans. We're still independents. We're still millennials or boomers or busters or whatever you want to call yourself. We still have our age. We still have our birthdays. We still have all those things. But there's one identity marker that supersedes them all. And that you and I, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we are followers of Jesus Christ that we are in Christ. And because we are followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't eliminate our other identity markers, does it? We still have them. It just means that this identity marker as a follower of Jesus Christ is so important that it's first and foremost of who we are. We have to understand, when I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, I'm in Christ. That's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. And all those other identity markers in which I have, identify identify myself with, become so much less and less important in my life. An identity marker is a follower of Jesus. That's where we're supposed to be here. All the other identity markers become less and less important. And we're followers of Jesus. I'm in Christ. So through that, I'm able to love others through Christ. I'm able to encourage one another. doesn't matter what these other identity markers are, because this one that I have in Jesus as a follower of Jesus, as in Christ, is far superior. And that rises above them all. And I don't look at their identity markers down here. I look at the one identity marker we have in common. What is that? We're in Christ. We're followers of Jesus. And that's what Paul was getting across. This is who we are. And this is how we're to live as followers of Jesus. Look who they are. They're, you're all unified through Jesus, through Jesus. And you all have that came through by that one spirit. And that's supposed to bring us all together and unify us through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's getting across. Jews and Gentiles. All of our identity markers today, all those subgroups that we have today, we come together, we're one in Jesus. And the only one that can unify us is Jesus Christ. The only one. Let's look at the third embrace. He says, embrace the results of our unity. Embrace the results of our unity is the third point. Begin with verse 19. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Think about that. He says, no longer are you foreigners. No longer you are, 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 are far away, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together, become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church, he's saying here, is built on the foundation of the apostles and, and the prophets that are taught us uh, in the New Testament epistles. They've given us the New Testament epistles. They, they wrote them. And that becomes our basis of how we do things. What we have written by the, the apostles and the prophets, what we have from the Word of God. We say here at Crossroads that we believe in the Bible. We believe what it says. We operate the church of Jesus Christ. We operate by what the Bible tells us based on these biblical principles given to us by the prophets and the apostles. But the foundation, the cornerstone, even the chief cornerstone is built upon Jesus is what he's saying. Yes, the apostles and prophets, we have the scriptures, you know, the word of God they give us, but he says, but everything's built upon that strong foundation, which is Jesus. And, and, and he's the chief cornerstone. So everything else is laid aside, that chief cornerstone. Everything comes alongside of him. And we have to understand our chief cornerstone, who he is, that Jesus is God. We have to understand what he did for us, that he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. So we have to understand the cross and the resurrection, we have to believe. Everything is built upon that of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And it rises above that. And he says, because everything rests upon Jesus, he's the unifier. We can have unity because of Christ. Because everything that we teach, everything that we believe, everything we have from the word of God comes in that foundation. The rock solid foundation we have is upon Jesus. All the prophets teaching, all the, the apostles teaching, it comes and it based upon that rock solid foundation of Jesus. It means it doesn't change, guys. What we believe doesn't change because it's built on rock solid foundation. And all of our differences, we come with our identity markers, makes us beautiful. It makes us a beautiful church. That's what God wants. It, we come together, and that we have different gifts, that we have different backgrounds. It's just amazing. God brought us all here. God wrote all of our stories, right? All of our stories. He brings us here. That we're woven together to this thing called Crossroads. We're here at the church today. It's beautiful that God has brought us together to be unified, to carry out his mission. That's what he wants. That we put away the, the identity markers. We still have them, those other identity markers. We still have them. But this one, who we are in Jesus, supersedes them. And that's who we are. So we fulfill that mission above all these other identity markers, no matter what they are. We put them down and say, yeah, I can still do some of those things, but not if it gets in the way of this one. Not if it interferes in this one. Not if it comes in conflict with this one, who I am in Jesus. That's the one we live by. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, may, may I urge you, that's the most important decision you can make today by understanding who Jesus is and what you're going to do with Jesus. That you would come today and accept God's peacemaker. God has put a peacemaker out there and says, I want to have peace with you. And I've sent my peacemaker, my son Jesus. Will you accept him and have peace with God through Jesus is what he's asking. So if you've never accepted God's peacemaker, Jesus, put your faith and trust in him today. For all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, for everyone who says, I have this, we can't have division of any kind. Do you understand that? Not of any kind especially along the lines of racism or prejudices. We can't have that. And the question needs to be asked in our own hearts. Is there any prejudices? Is there any tension in our own lives with that? To be honest with us, don't just cast it aside, but really deal with it in your own hearts and your own minds. Is there any of that here? 
And if there is, confess it and get rid of it. Say, God, get rid of this. Get this out of my life. That's what he's saying. He was telling them back then, and he's telling us today. Get rid of all of it. That we're to be unified in Jesus. I want to ask each of you also to pray for Crossroads, to pray for ourselves, that, that God would make us the church that he wants us to be, not what the society wants us to be. We would be the type of church where every person, no matter their background, would feel loved and accepted in a place where they can belong. They say, this is a place where I belong. I feel loved here. And God would raise up leaders and people, and leaders and people who have a passion to be the kind of church that Jesus Christ died for. That's what God wants. And that's what Paul was talking about. We're to represent the church that Jesus Christ died for. Not what everybody else is saying. Not what they're all saying out there. But who Jesus died for. That our passion as a church, that our passion as individuals, is to glorify the name of Jesus. Amen? That's what we're about. To glorify his name. And therefore, let's embrace his glory. Let's embrace that unity to broken, divided, disunited world. That's what Paul was asking the Jews and Gentiles at that time. And that's what he's asking today. God is asking us. We have to do that as a church. But we also have to do that as individuals in our lives. That we want to represent the church that Jesus Christ died for, right? We want to represent that. And what that means, not as the culture is trying to influence the church today, not as the culture is trying to influence us to kind of change what we believe, and they change like shifting sand. But we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't change what we believe about abortion and marriage and gender, like many are doing in our culture and our society, and many are trying to change that. We can't change that. Why? Because what we believe is based on the Word of God. And this is based on the nature and character of who God is. And God does not change. What God says in here is going to be the same from one year from now, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, because God's character and nature does not change. So no matter what anybody says, we're always going to believe the same thing about all those things. It does not going to change what our society says or our culture. So we can always be certain and constant of what we believe. And that's what we want to be. That's the church that Jesus Christ died for on the cross. And that's what we want to be, a church who believes in the truth of God's Word, but also accepting of all people to come in and love them in a place where they can belong, where they can hear the Word of God, and they can come and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? Let's practice that in our lives. That's what Paul was talking about, that we would be united, that we would be one in the church. No divisions, that we would fight for each other, not against each other. That we'd be united all together to accomplish God's mission in our church and in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you, and we thank you so much for your, for your blessings. We praise you so much, Jesus, that when you came and you died on that cross, Lord, it, it just accomplished so much that it blows away our minds, Lord, of all that you did upon that cross. Not only do we have uh, peace with God and that wall that, that separated us from God, the Holy of Holies separated us, that you tore that down, and now we can have access to God to you, but you tore down the wall of, walls of hostility that, between us, between one another. That now we're able to tear down that wall and forgive one another because we've been forgiven. We're able to love the way that Jesus loved. And we're to look at each other now through the through cross, through the cross of Jesus, that we're in Christ. 
and we love you. No matter what your other identity markers are, no matter what other, what other things, the baggage that you carry in your life, that we're to love you because that identity marker is Jesus Christ in Christ is who we're to represent. We're to represent Jesus, the church that he died for and the people that he died for. We're to be representation of that. And I pray that each one of us would take that seriously as an individual and as a church. And Lord, help us to be the people you called us to be. Help us to love people, Lord, and see them through your eyes. And Lord, if they don't know Jesus, give us such a heart and passion for their soul to come to know Jesus. And for all of us, Lord, let us be encouraging and loving one another. Help us to, to build each other up, Lord, to become the people you want us to be. Lord, I know you're not finished with us here at church. You're not finished with us in this community. You're not finished with us as individuals. So, Lord, we come and we ask, Lord, you work in our hearts and our minds that we might become people you want us to be in this town, in this state, in this country, in this world. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.